0: Christian in the Campus is a podcast of the Rebels for Christ Campus Ministry. The college campus is a world of competing stories vying for students' attention and allegiance. The goal of this podcast is to orient students towards Christ in this brave new world so that we can bring about a revolution of redemption on the University of Mississippi and the Northwest Community College campuses. This semester we've been asking, what does it mean to be a kingdom of priests? What does it look like to be a people? What does it look like to be individuals who bring order to, to the chaos out in the world that we traffic it. And I think this commission, and by the way, what, we, what Kelsey just read for us is a commission, is gonna help us add another layer as we seek to answer that question. It's gonna help us define it better. I think, and, and mostly, I think it's gonna help us live it out better. This is probably the most important commission I think we're gonna address this, this semester because I think it is the one that most mirrors your college experience. So let's just focus for a second on, on a surface level. What is, what is happening here, right? Kelsey read the whole thing and there's a, there's a lot that's going on. So look, let's look at the beginning again and let's just ask ourselves a question on a surface. What does it seem, what it seems to be happening? Jeremiah 29, by the way, if you have your Bibles with you or if you're looking uh, on your phone at your Bible, this is Jeremiah 29, uh, verses 1 and 2. I encourage you to, to kind of follow along, but it will be up here as well. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the Queen Mother and the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem and the skilled workers and the artisans, a.k.a. by the way, when you read that, read the college graduates. Uh, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. Now, uh, when we had left, uh, you know, last week we kind of took this um, kind of sidebar moment, and we jumped all the way ahead to 1 Peter, and we and we talked about the idea of your worship, but two weeks ago is kind of where we left off in this narrative of the Bible that we've been in, and we talked about Israel being at Sinai, okay? And at Mount Sinai, um, though they had some, you know, kind of Israel's history up until this point until we get to Jeremiah, um, Israel did have some, some bumps. and and bruises along the way, right? There's the golden calf thing where they literally make the golden calf to image uh, uh, and and said, by the way, and it's really interesting, they say, this is Yahweh, this golden calf is Yahweh. This is who led you out of Egypt. Um, uh, The wilderness experience, and and there's the time of the judges in which everyone did what was right in their own eyes rather than the eyes of Yahweh. Um, So yes, they had some major bumps and bruises, but most of Israel's history, from Mount Sinai um, up until really Solomon is really on the up and up. Okay, um, they, they they settle in the the, the Promised Land that, that God had promised Abraham. Right, this this amazing promise that God makes Abraham in Genesis twelve and fifteen and seventeen and twenty two. I mean, it comes to fruition. Um, and, and I mean, so they're really on the up and up. They they, they establish the Davidic kingship in the Davidic line and, and, and Solomon builds a temple for God and all the nations flood into Jerusalem to worship Yahweh. I mean they are just on the up and up. But after that, so right, from Mount Sinai to to, to Solomon, I mean it's just, I mean it, there's some bumps of bruises along the way, but they're on the up and up. But from Solomon to this point here, I mean they just plummet. Okay? They, they enter into a, a, an absolute tailspin. If you remember us talking about like Genesis 3-11, um, through 11, how it's like the fallout of the fall, it's really similar to that. I mean, it just gets really, really bad. Um, and um, um, Israel and Judah um, split after Solomon. So the, the, the ten northern tribes of Israel separate from, I think it's Judah and the half-tribe of Manasseh. I could be really wrong on that. Maybe like... Uh, the tribe of Dan. Does anyone, does anyone know? It's Benjamin. It's Benjamin? Is the half-tribe of Benjamin? It's not a half-tribe? Half oh, there's a half-tribe of Manasseh somewhere. Um, Alright, so, what? Manasseh half? and Ephraim, Okay, yeah. So, But, it, but these two, it's, it's, it's Judah and Benjamin, are the southern tribes the two tribes. Um, they split from the northern tribes because the northern kings were even worse than the southern kings and the southern kings were terrible. Assyria, Right, and if you think of Cyrus, this is King Cyrus. Assyria takes over Jerusalem—not uh, Jerusalem—they take over Israel, and they they become captives and they become exiles. And by the way, the twelve, the, the ten northern tribes, they never return because Assyria is taken over by Babel. Okay, this is King Nebuchadnezzar, right? And why do we know King Nebuchadnezzar? If you grew up in church, why do you know King Nebuchadnezzar? There's only one right answer. What? He turned into an animal. He did. Yeah, but what that's what, what? I remember. <laughs> I a Yeah, but like the <laughs> tales, right? I mean, please tell me you watched the it's the chocolate bunny tales, right? Anyone? Yeah. yeah, I mean, we all know King Nebuchadnezzar because of the chocolate the big chocolate bunny, right? And um, and then that's Babylon. Okay? That's Babylon. And Babylon takes over Syria and Babylon is um as big and bad Assyria actually was pretty good to the to the people they captured. Uh, they tried to like let them kind of live off their life. Basically as long as you paid your taxes, you, you could kind of live your lives as you wanted. Babylon was not that way. Okay, Babylon was not that way. King Nebuchadnezzar was not that way. They were vicious to the people that they that they captured. And so they captured Judah. Okay, they captured the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, the southern tribes of Israel. And um and by the way inside of that is Jerusalem. Okay, where the temple is, which represents what? The presence of God, right? So, I mean, this is really, really, really bad. I mean, we're talking about an absolute tailspin. And now, when we reach uh, Jeremiah 29, this is kind of the climax of that. I mean, it is bad, all right? Um, and, um, and what they do is, what Babylon would do is, uh, particularly um, kind of nasty um, provinces or, or colonies that they had, and that's what Judah would have been. It would have kind of been a province or colony of uh, that was overseen by Babylon at that point. Um, the, the particularly nasty ones, and, and Judah was, they, they revolted against um, against the, the Babylonian captivity, captivity. This is what Babylon would do. They would take the the college, the kind of equivalent of the college graduates, the leadership, the 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 um, uh, the, um, the industrial and artisan class. And all the leaders and all the all the magistrates and, and all this, they would take those people and they would take them to Babylon. They would train them in the Babylonian way. They would assimilate them into the Babylonian worldview and make them worse than the Babylonian gods. Because if you did that, if you took that that class of people and you and you assimilated them into Babylonian culture, there wouldn't be you know there would be no one to lead all the peasants into revolt. Okay. So that, that was kind of the stick of Babylon. That's what they would do. They would take the, the leadership, they'd take the industrial class, they would take, you know, the, let's call it the upper middle class, and they would, they would take them and they would, um, and they would just ruin their lives and completely up in them and assimilate them into Babylonian culture, all right? But that's what you see actually playing out in that chocolate bunny movie is, is that happening. And so um, this is what's happening to Israel. About 15 years before this letter, this is what happened to Israel. Israel revolted, and it didn't go well. They get absolutely crushed by Babylon. Because Babylon just has a lot more firepower than they do. And, and, um, and you know, the, the people just you know, get taken away. These college graduates, per se, get taken away. And um, Israel had these false prophets that were coming to them. If you remember, if you're looking in your Bibles, it's in verse 8. It says, um, do not let the prophets and the uh, diviners among you deceive you. And what, what these people were doing was they're saying, by the way, this captivity isn't going to last long. So here's what you should do, right? They're going to try to make you assimilate into Babylonian society. They're going to try to make you Babylonians, okay? But don't do that. You, you should withdraw from society. You should live out on like, the riverbank, which is what they were doing, and, and, and you should revolt the best you can, because this is going to be a short captivity. And it is in that context, it's these people who are sitting on the riverbank, kind of uh, about long, not really wanting to go in, withdrawing from society, planning revolts. It is those, those are the people who receive this letter, okay? And on the surface, Israel is being taken into this captivity as exiles. As a punishment from God, right? They did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and therefore God is punishing them, right? On the surface level, that makes sense. But when we take a closer look, we'll see that Israel is entering into a time, and here's what I mean here: that is extremely similar to your college years, all right? It's extremely similar to your college years because on the on the on the surface, it is social forces, right? It's social forces that brought the best and brightest. Of Israel to Babylon, right? In verse 1, it says the exiles that Nebuchadnezzar had brought from Jerusalem to Babylon, and that's what it says. If you look at the surface of your own life, it's social forces that brought you here, right? Social forces brought the Israelites from Jerusalem to Babylon to train them in the ways of Babylon, just like that you were brought from across the the nation, the state, and the globe to Oxford, Mississippi, to be trained in the ways of the world, to serve the kingdoms of this world, to, to serve the kingdoms of industry, to serve the kingdoms of finance, to serve the kingdoms of literary arts. And on the surface of your life, yeah, it's the social forces. It's the fact that your family went to Ole Miss, or that they gave you scholarship money, or that there was a particular major that you wanted to major in. But when we read, when we read on, when we move past this, and we read on to Jeremiah 29, verses 4-7, through 7, we see that it's something very different than social forces that is bringing Israel to Babylon. And I think the same is true for you. It might seem like it's social forces at work in your life bringing you here to Oxford, Mississippi, from wherever you're from. But it's more than that. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Now, remember the people they're they're speaking to. Uh, These are people who are having people tell them to withdraw and revolt because this is going to be a short time. Build houses and settle down. All right. It's an automatic affront, right? right. Plain gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and daughters and give your daughters a marriage so that they may have sons and daughters. A.K.A. have grandchildren there. All right? Increase the number there and do not decrease. Oh, my goodness. What is that? Increase the number there and do not decrease. What is it? What does that make you think of? Abraham. What? Abraham. And before that? I'm Eve. Yeah, man. This is, this is it. This is a commission. Read Genesis 1 in here. Be fruitful and multiply. Increase the number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity. Don't revolt. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you. Well, they don't assimilate either. Pray to the Lord. And by the way, that Lord is Yahweh. Pray to Yahweh. Because if it it prospers, you will prosper. Now, when we read this... Who brings them to Babylon? Who brought the exiles to Babylon? Verse 1, it said it was Nebuchadnezzar. Social forces. Here, who does it say? God. God. Who said that? God. Yahweh does. Social forces did not bring you here. Social forces may have brought you here, but the, the force behind those social forces is Yahweh. See, in Jeremiah 29, verses 4-7, God is saying to Israel, yes, you were taken, from, uh, taken to Babylon by Babylon. But those societal forces that were at play, those were mine. That was my hand at work. I have brought you here. And it's not just that I've brought you here. I have brought you here for a very specific purpose. It isn't a punishment. It is forcing Israel's hand. To be who they were always intended to be, right? If you remember when we looked at the Tower of Babel, um, just as confusing, God looks down at the the, the people building the Tower Tower of Babel um, and, and he confuses their language, right? And he does that so they would scatter over the face of the earth, right? And their greatest fear, by the way, was being scattered over the face of the earth. But God did that not just as some random punishment, right to force humanity's hand to live into what he always intended them to do, which is what? Fill the earth and subdue it. Increase in number. Just like that. It's not just some random arbitrary punishment. This exile is not just some random arbitrary punishment. This is God forcing Israel's hand to do what he always wanted them to do, to be a kingdom of priests, to be a people who brought order to the chaos in the nations that surrounded them because of the curse of sin and death the reign of sin and death. They were supposed to be a people who were a light to the nations. You see, under the kings who did what was right in their own eyes, Israel did not live into their calling. There's a a command in Exodus uh, 22, right? And This is right after the Ten Commandments. And it says, Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, For you were foreigners in Egypt, right? And if you think about it, they were supposed to be a kingdom of priests. Out of all the nations, they would be God's kingdom of priests. The people who represented God to the nations. You would think one of the first rules that would come out, and it does, is don't mistreat the nations. Don't treat them poorly. Don't oppress those who are already oppressed. Don't oppress those who are outside of your community. Under, and by the way, if you look at like the minor prophets, this is what they often rail against. Under the kings who did what was right in their own eyes, what did they do? They exploited the foreigner, they enslaved them. God was like, You were slaves, so don't make other people slaves. You know what it's like, it's part of your history. So instead of being a kingdom of priests, right, they were enslavers of foreigners. And so this is what God does. He humbles them. He makes them exiles. And he says, all right, you're not willing to do this on your own accord. You are prideful. You are haughty. Well, guess what? I'm going to lower you. And I'm going to send you into exile. I'm going to force your hand. You are going to reach out to the nations. You are going to mediate my presence, my restorative presence. Shalom. That's what it's all about, restoring you. And by the way, seek the peace and prosperity of the city. The word there in Hebrew is the word for shalom which no, like we have no ability to to translate with one word in the English language, of peace and prosperity, but it means human flourishing as it was intended to be in the Garden of Eden, right? This unbridled and unhindered human life where Jesus put life and life to the full, which is what he came to give. Seek life and life to the full. Seek the shalom of the city that I brought you. God is forcing their hand to do what he always wanted them to do, so it's not societal forces that is bringing them to Babylon. It's not societal forces that are bringing you to this campus. God was at work, bringing them to Babylon so that they would seek the prosperity of the city that was not their own. But in so doing, right, they, they would have to make it their own. They would have to build homes, build gardens in which they could eat. They would marry have children and grandchildren. You see, the word for exiles um, that's used in in, in Jeremiah 29 verse 1 is actually best translated resident aliens. Resident aliens. You're going to become a resident of this place. Don't withdraw. You're going to become a resident of this place, but don't assimilate. You're going to be an alien. You're going to be a foreigner. So what was Israel supposed to do? They were supposed to settle in to this place and make it their home. But they would be distinctive by not praying to its gods, but praying to Yahweh on behalf of the city who did not in and of itself recognize Yahweh. Babylon didn't recognize Yahweh as Lord, right? But Israel knows. Israel's going to seek the welfare of the city. It's going to seek the shalom of the city by praying Yahweh because Israel knows. Israel knows, but Babylon doesn't. And this is how they're going to be a king of priests. They know what Babylon doesn't. And that is that life and life to full, that shalom, that unbridled, unhindered, human flourishing, life as it was intended to be by God, can only be had in the presence of Yahweh. So that it were to be resident aliens. I love this, this line from Tim Keller. And he says, they're supposed to live counterculture for the common good. We as Christians are supposed to live out in the world as exiles, as resident aliens, uh, resident aliens living counterculture for the common good. And the same, as i pointed out, is true for all of you. These societal forces might be at play in you showing up here. It might have brought you, you know, it might be the major, it might be the fact your family went here, it might be that you're from here, that you showed up in Oxford to attend university. it's not societal forces it's not just that god is behind those. god is using those you see campus is not a place we think of campus as a place of preparation right you're preparing you're getting this degree to prepare you to do something else we think of campus as a place of preparation but campus is not a place to prepare for mission if we live into this identity as being exiles we really take Jeremiah 29 seriously. We're going to see that campus is the perfect place to live a life of a mission, not a place just to prepare for a life of a mission. See God has brought you here. God has brought you here just like he brought Israel to Babylon, so that you might seek the welfare of this campus so that you might pray to campus, pray for campus to God. A God the campus and the kingdoms of campus and the values of campus and the ethics of campus does not recognize. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to be out on the deck next week, we're going to talk about that, and we're going to end in a time of prayer for campus. But what I want to talk to you about tonight, and I promise it's not too much long. what I want to talk to you about tonight is the two temptations that you will face as you seek to live a life that is defined as being counterculture for the common good. The first is this. It's withdrawal. As we seek to be resident aliens, people who embody the community that we live in, but also don't, one of the things that we're going to be tempted towards is withdrawing. From culture, Because if you're not going to assimilate, if you're not going to, to, to just become like the culture that you live in, it's much easier just to go ahead and withdraw. It's much easier just to not engage. And that's what Israel did, right? They were sitting on the banks. They revolted. And they got into, if you remember uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the idea of culture wars. They got into real culture wars. They actually fought over this stuff. And then after being taken away, they camped outside of Babylon. And they huddle up in their what? Holy huddle. That's right, They huddle up in their holy huddle. They withdraw from culture. Because it's easier to withdraw from culture if you're not going to assimilate into culture. It is in that context that they receive this letter that says, go pray for that city. Go seek the prosperity of that city. Go make this city your home. You can't withdraw. That's not what a kingdom of priests does. That's not the life that I intended for you. As Michael Goheen puts it, he says, Along with the threat of assimilation, it is the danger uh, that the people of Israel will simply withdraw from the dominant culture into a ghetto-like existence, avoiding assimilation by escaping into isolation, right? So if we're afraid for me, you know, just becoming like the culture, becoming like campus, what is our most likely move? It's just to get as far away from us as we possibly can, and we hide out here in the RFC and never get out on campus and never engage in anything of campus life, because it's just easier. Certainly, cultural participation heightens the temptation to assimilate, and thus is dangerous to Israel's identity, right? It doesn't come without some, some, some fraughtness. Yet in this context, Jeremiah calls Israel to full participation in the cultural life of the Babylonian Empire. So my question tonight is this. Do we need this letter too? Are we so holed up in our holy huddle here at the RFC that we need to receive a letter from God that tells us, Hey, go make that place your home. Go spend your free time there. Go live your life out on that campus, so that you can seek its welfare, and so that you can pray for it, because you cannot pray for something that you do not love and that you do not know. At least, not pray for it well. You see, it's easier to live distinct from culture, away from culture. And so, have we given up before you even really try? What are ways that we're tempted to withdraw? from campus? I mean, I, I want you to answer that. What are, what are ways we are tempted towards this? I need two answers. What are ways we're tempted to withdraw from campus? Deeming certain organizations is bad. Yeah, right? It's easy. Ben, it's easy to say that fraternities are bad and you shouldn't get involved, right? It's the easy out. And it's not necessarily true. God can work redemptively out on campus. One more. You feel you're too busy with work to get involved? Yeah, man, it's just so easy to get kind of caught up in the busyness of life it's easier just to hang out with the friends that I've already made at the RFC this year and not engage you know anyone that i meet in class and I know you're not class now in person as much so I know that's harder but I mean like it's easier right it's just easier because you're busy and I'm not trying to say that you're not you're busy here's the other one assimilation one. this is the goal of Babylon. they brought these people out of Jerusalem so that they may assimilate them and make them Babylonians. And in the same way, in a sense, you were drawn out of your, your, whatever community you lived in to be trained in the kingdoms of this world. The forces of society are pushing you towards assimilation, right? G.K. Chesterton said this about Christianity. He said, it's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting, but it has been found difficult and therefore not tried. It's not easy. Daniel uh, 1-6 through is actually where uh, all those veggie-tale stories take place. And this is what happens in these veggie-tale stories is most of the Israelites that aren't named Daniel fall into this temptation of assimilation. They just go ahead and they assimilate into society, the Babylonian society. Daniel, who doesn't, right? Daniel, who isn't willing to bow down to the false idol. Daniel, who isn't willing to not pray to Yahweh but pray to the king, ends up Where? You wanna remember the two places Daniel ends up? In a fiery furnace and in a lion's, and a lion's den. den. Right? It's not easy. Mm-hmm. Assimilation's easier. Just become like campus. A distinctive life, a life that runs against the grain of culture, living countercultural for the common good is not the easy choice. If you're going to go ahead, you know, if you're not going to withdraw, you're going to go live out on campus. It's going to be easier just to look like campus. Walter Brugman puts it this way. He says, the great problem for exiles is cultural assimilation. The primary threat to those ancient Jews was that the members of the community would decide that Jewishness, or read Christianity for us, is too demanding or too dangerous or too costly. And simply accept the Babylonian de- definitions and models of reality. They're just going to simply accept the Babylonian ways of life and all of its false gods. In the same way, it is possible for baptized Christians to assimilate into American culture in the same way. To embrace the, the dominant American hopes and fears that are all around us. To live so the world does not notice our odd baptism, which gives us an odd identity. right? If we have, If we who who bear the name of Christ and have entered and have been saved through the waters of baptism, which has given us new identity as children of God, if we are different in all those ways, then shouldn't we look different from culture when we live in our lives? Shouldn't there be something about us that makes us different, that makes us salt and light in an unsalty and dark world? Or are we just some social club that gathers every Wednesday night and every Sunday night and Sunday mornings to fill up our time and entertain us because we just don't have anything better to do? By the way, if you think about this, what does it sound like? It's something I rail against all the time. It's, it's vampire Christianity, Christianity, right? We get a little bit of Jesus' blood... And that saves us from our sin. And therefore, since we're saved from our sin, we don't have to do anything else. We don't have to live like Jesus. We don't have to be discipled by Jesus. We just move on with our lives as if nothing has happened except for we got our ticket punched. That when we die, we'll be zapped up to heaven rather than down to hell. And so we just move on with our lives as if nothing's happened. And we look just like all Here's what I think the, 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 the real threat, and, and this is what Kinley was talking about, and it's busyness. Here's why I think assimilation is so, and the same thing with withdrawal, is so tempting. Because you're busy. Because you have things on your plate. And the last thing you want to do when you're stressed, when you're lonely, when you're frustrated at your roommate, or you're, or you're just frustrated with classes, is to think, to stop and actually think for a second about what does it actually mean to be Christian in this circumstance. You're busy. You don't have time to do that. But we do, right? We do. I hope tonight, for at least for a little bit, you just can stop and pause for a minute long enough to jog your brain in the rut and grind of this extremely long semester in which you don't have many breaks, to jolt you. That you stop long enough to jolt you and just to think have I just been hiding from campus, or have I just been acting like campus? And what might God, what might God be calling me to? How might he be sending me out to be a king of priest a la campus? How might, what letter might he be sending me? So that I might seek the prosperity and the shalom and the peace of this campus. That societal forces may have brought you to, but it was really God the purpose that God used to all the forces to bring you here. And if you do that to me, and if you're willing to let that question haunt you for a little bit and stick in your mind, maybe even keep you up tonight, I guarantee you God's going to do something. I guarantee you.